The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Hello! <laughs> welcome welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. Um, it's good to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Zechariah chapter 2. We'll jump into Zechariah chapter 2 today. Last week... Um, we saw the first and second vision of Zechariah, and so today we look at the third vision that he has. Remember, just to remind you that it's apocalyptic literature, a lot of symbology um, to explain and kind of work through, and what does this mean, what, what is going on, and how do we apply this um, to our lives. And, and we learned in week one last week about the man and the myrtles. And the myrtles represented um, Israel, and Jesus was down there in the ravine with them and was helping them in the midst of all the ruin that was uh, in their nation as 40,000 of them came back, and most of them didn't. It's kind of like Brother Sean came down with COVID, and some of you came back, and most of you didn't, right? <laughs> and so some of you are joining online at home, and uh, he talked about how to learn how to use the word like a hammer and function out of the overflow of the blessing of God. And so today, um, as we looked last week, the message was, I'm with you, and as you obey and rebuild um, from all of this ruin that you're looking at, I am there in the midst with you. And so I do want to encourage Pastor Sean today. He's feeling fine, um, and ask that you pray for him, um, and encourage him today. And I ask that you pray for me and Pastor Shea. Not because we are worried that we have COVID-19, but because it is December the 13th, and we still have not harvested any bucks. <laughs> and we need encouragement. Man, it gets so long and frustrating. And Shay, poor Shay. I mean, I do okay. I'm pretty, I'm pretty optimistic. But the poor guy is down. <laughs> I mean, he didn't let you guys know it when he's here at church, but he's just down. And so I... I want to encourage him today. I want to encourage myself. And the Word is going to do that for us today as we jump in and we look at this vision. Um, and, and it's a little bit shorter today in the, in the vision because it's kind of hard to get some of them together. And so may, maybe you'll get out a little earlier and maybe you won't. Well, and I, I shouldn't even say that ever because every time I say that, I'm probably ruining my credibility because you think every time he says that, he goes long. And I just wished he wouldn't say it. But uh, it's not up to me. We just have to do what the Lord shares with us. But let's jump in today, man, and see what the Lord has, because I do think it is pretty encouraging stuff. And so we f first, what happens in these, by way of explanation, is there's generally a vision, and then there's some explanation about the vision, uh, and then we can kind of see that the, uh, the, the prophet sort of prophesies some things that are coming um, out of that vision. He says, then I looked up. And there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? And he answered me to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. And while the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. 
Okay, so like when we, we look at this, um, it's important to note that like these angels, all this talk of the angel, you can't every time think of it when it's used as an angel in the context of what we would think of an angel because the word angel itself means messenger, a sent one. And so sometimes it is talking about a created angelic being, but sometimes it's just a, a, a messenger in the midst of the story. And sometimes it's even referring to God himself. And often I explained that last week, the angel of the Lord. Um, we, we know these uh, in the Old Testament, we call them theophanies. And that is where God shows up in the Old Testament um, and he takes on a, a, an angelic or a human um, um, a form. Uh, and so when we, we look at this, the first thing that we learn, the first thing that we see from this is the city limits are limitless, Okay. That's the first thing you want to take away whenever this guy, like, so you have to imagine Zechariah and these 47,000 people who have left Babylon, who didn't want to leave Babylon, that it was scary to leave Babylon, much easier to stay there in this place of uh, great economic prosperity where their families would be taken care of, their livelihoods would be taken care of, that they could stay engaged on all, in all of the things that they love, but God had called them in obedience to go back to Jerusalem and take a place that had been plundered and rebuild it. And so they are there in the midst of the, um, uh, the, the city now, and they are, they are charged by God with this task of rebuilding the city. And the first thing that they're told to start with, and we learned this in Haggai, is the temple, which seems odd. It's like, um, you know, <laughs> if you were to go to Congress and say, man, America's jacked up. I think the, the message for our legislature, both the United States House and the Senate, is we need to start on the temple, Okay. And we're trying to figure out all these other things. And if we could just learn one thing from the word, we need to start on the temple. If we could start on the temple, you say, well, we got all these problems. How can you say that we need to start on the temple? It is because when you begin to construct the temple, all of these other things will be built in the way that they should be built. And so right now, when we look at this story here, and we see that they're in the midst of ruins, probably a desire. We know they wanted to work on their homes. And God reproved them through the prophet Haggai and said, Quit working on your own homes right now and work on my house. And now, now they're thinking as they're starting to build and construct the city, they're thinking about um, the walls and protection because they are um, vulnerable to other invading enemies. And so he has this vision and what he sees is, is he looks up. And I would say to you that that's a good place to start is that uh, whenever you are in a place of desperation or confusion, don't look to the right, don't look left, and certainly don't look down. A lot of times if you look down, you'll never be able to pick your head back up. But always look up. And that's what Zechariah does in this vision. He looks up and he sees a, a surveyor with a measuring line. And it, it is uh, one of the things I take away from this is that there is a standard that God uses. And there's a standard by which um, this angelic being has been sent out in this vision to go and measure the size of this city. And, and so we can think about some of the different uh, the standards, weights, and measures are all throughout the Bible. Um, you've been measured, and you've been weighed and measured, and been found wanting, the, the, the Word teaches us, and all kinds of different um, principles um, it talks about that things will be weighed and, 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 and see if as you serve the Lord, it'll be, the return will be pressed down and measured and overflowed and how God will bless your life if you will put him first and seek his kingdom first. And so there's always a standard. And so you need to recognize and I need to recognize um, that there's always a standard that is being used to measure my life. And it's not the standard of the people around me. 
It's always a standard of God. And you say, well, how do I know what the standard is? Because if you don't know what the standard is, then you can really mess up some things. Like if you try to build something and you think, well, I'm just going to build a square box. And you think, well, I don't need a tape measure. And you start to try to figure it out. You will quickly figure out that your square box does not look very good because you didn't start with an, uh, an, an objective standard of reality called a tape measure. And you just couldn't get it right. And so our objective standard of reality is the Word of God. And so we lay that against our lives. And we realize that God is measuring our lives according to His Word and what it teaches. And so as Zachariah sees this, and he sees the guy with the measuring line, he has a question in the vision. Where are you going? He says, to measure Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the capital city of the covenant. What is the covenant? The covenant is, it goes to Abraham. Abraham was first visited by God in a theophany, and God shows up and visits with him, and he tells him to move to a foreign land. Go from your place that is comfortable to a place where you are not comfortable, where you do not have any um, relatives, and I'm going to take you yourself, and I'm going to turn you into a great nation. And so Abraham goes, and as he goes, and he's believing God, he cannot have any children with the wife whom he's married. And so until he's in his 90s, they don't have a child, and the promise that he has received from God is that he would be uh, uh, the father of a great nation, okay? And so he's having to constantly remind himself of the promise that he received from God. What is the promise? The word. So what is Abraham doing? He's always walking in faith. For 90 years before it even became a, a, a potential reality in his life where it was even a human possibility until he had the son Isaac, he couldn't, he couldn't even have a family, let alone be the father of a nation. And so he's walking in faith, not by sight. That's why in Hebrews, when we get to chapter 11 in the roll call of faith, what does it mention? It mentions Abraham, and it talks about God who's building a city. They all walked, and they believed in faith who's uh, in a city that they could not see whom the architect was God, okay? So what's going on here is that all of the people throughout the pages of Scripture are all called to do the same thing, work on something God has called them to work on, and it always is surrounding the temple. You say, well, how does that uh, apply to us? Well, it applies to us in that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we constantly are working on the temple of our lives that are being erected for God as he lives inside of us, and, and he's asking us to walk in faith, not by sight. So don't get hung up on the things that uh, you can see. Always be thinking about the things that you cannot see because the things you can see will trip you up. And often they won't um, make sense to uh, you and how the, the rest of the world is playing out and how um, everybody tells you their definition of success. God's measure uh, and, and his standard is always different than what the world says. It's always really I want to say it's always upside down, but it's upside down from what the world is. And really, the, the fact of the matter is, is God's standard is right side up and the world is upside down. And so God is always teaching us how to flip and fly right side up in an upside down world. It's a fallen world. And so it's always, um, it's always like uh, there's always conflict in what the desires of our flesh are and what we yearn for in our physical sense as opposed to what is really the healthiest for us in, a, our, in our spiritual sins. And so if we start to listen to the flesh, whom uh, uh, the Word tells us the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak, then we will get tripped up often. And so he tells him, he says, man, the, 
The city limits are limitless. Well, what is that about? Well, I think that there's a lot of things. I think spiritually we could say in our own lives that the city limits of what we can build for God are limitless. And, and that's why the word says um, he will go exceeding beyond and blow our expectations once we start to really sell out and so, uh, 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 surrender to him. He will start to move in our lives and he will go beyond what we could ever even imagine or think in our minds. But there's also um, this whole idea of the city of Jerusalem that they were building. And so basically, he's told by the secondary person in the, in the vision that it's too large to measure. It is an ever-expanding city that is without walls. Now, this will make sense here in a minute. And so uh, they do build some walls. We know from the story of Nehemiah that happens um, close to this time period. And Nehemiah is called to leave Babylon, and he used to go back and he used to erect the walls after the temple's built. But in this vision from Zechariah, he's told there's a city without walls. And so the, what is going on here is that the city of God is ever expanding. Now, this is fascinating if you start to really wrap your mind around this. We start in the creation story, and where does it start? In the book of Genesis. It starts in a garden. And where does it end? In the book of Revelation. It ends in a city. It's the city of God. So what is this city, and what are the city limits? It's ever-expanding. There are no limits to the city of God that is being built, even in the time that we live in, that is known as the church age. And so that's the first thing that we see. And so Zechariah is a little worried about this in this vision, because a city of walls has no protection. And so God wants to encourage Zechariah. And so this is what he says. He says, and I myself, in verse 5, and I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. So here's what God is saying in the vision, and this is to us as well. Jesus is a wall of fire around us and the glory within us. And so when we think of uh, the things that frighten us, even like the things of we, we're worried about, maybe you're worried and a little freaked out about this, this COVID-19. What if I get it? The fear of the unknown. They keep telling us all these people are, are dying. What is God saying to us? I am a wall of fire around you, and I am the glory of God within you. And so that's what the Lord is saying to us. He's saying we should not be afraid of this. And that's why the early church, in the early years of its infancy, when everybody was rejecting the leper, the early church Christians were taking them in. They weren't afraid of being infected. They were afraid of not doing the work of God and bringing them in and loving on these people and caring for them. And throughout history, that's the way the church has functioned. How does she function that way? When the believers of God understand their true identity and they fully surrender to God, they really acknowledge and believe he is a wall of fire around me. So he protects me. And I believe that with everything in me. As I believe, you know, sometimes I'm 50 years old and I do these things, I hang these tree steps in these trees and I start crawling up to the top of them and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm getting too old for this. And I have to remind myself, he is a wall of fire around me. You know? And, and, and so it, there are a lot of things we can be stricken by paranoia. Sometimes people are afraid of just dying itself. 
He's a wall of fire around me, and I will not die until he says it is time for me to die unless I start walking in sin and disobedience and rebellion according to the scripture of Hebrews that he chastens his children, his children, and if I as a child of God am walking in rebellion and disobedience, I do believe that I could die before God really wants me to die because I'm not living a way he really wants me to live. But I'm walking in, when I'm walking in his will, and I don't mean in perfection, I just mean in surrender, like, and, and if I do recognize that I have sin in my life, I'm confessing it and trying to overcome it and not let it rule over me, but I'm trying as a, as a spiritual man to rule sin in my life instead of sin ruling my life. And that's the difference of a person who's walking in, in, with Christ and he's following Christ as opposed to someone who's just trying to believe in Christ as Savior. One is surrendering and recognizing and confessing sin and overcoming it in their lives. They're not practicing sin. The other is practicing sin and, and thinks it's okay to practice sin because they know Jesus and it doesn't really matter how you live. It does matter how you live. And so when we, when we start to live in a way that we're fully committed to Christ, we're walking as obedient children of his, then what is being told to us is he is a wall of fire around us. He protects us. And we're going to see here in a moment why he protects us out of this scripture. Is, is that, so he, the fire, and the reason he uses fire is because it cannot be penetrated. There's so many different things that can be penetrated, but when you have a wall of fire until the fire is extinguished, you can't penetrate it or you will die yourself. And so it's, it's a great analogy of how God cares for his children. And then he goes on with this other idea that he is the glory in us. Now, we know from the teaching of the New Testament that the whole purpose of Christ, now during the time of Zechariah, they didn't know exactly how this, this would play out because the fire of God would exist inside of the temple. It would come down and the glory of God would fall on the temple and it would be indwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. But now in the New Testament, because of Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary, when we receive him, we are experiencing what is known as being born again. So we are transformed into the image of Christ and we become the Ark of the Covenant. That is why we're identified as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our sin is forgiven. We are restored into a right relationship with God. And now the Spirit of God dwells in us. And he enables us to accomplish the things that he has asked of us to do here on the planet by living inside of us. And so his glory is in us. And, and so when we think of how does the glory of God get in us? It gets in us when we surrender to the truth that Jesus was God in the flesh. And the more we surrender to that truth of Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the greater the glory of God emanates from our lives. This is why discipleship is so important. Because in discipleship, we intentionally walk and talk with people and teach them how to surrender to the Lord. You've got to know how to surrender to the Lord. You don't just have to know how to go to church. You have to know how to hear from a, the Lord, how to hear his word and, and recognize it and walk in obedience to it and have a desire to walk in that obedience. And why would you want to have that desire? Because the greater you surrender in obedience to the truth of the word of God as you understand it, then the greater the glory of God will fall on your life. This is why when Mount Moses comes down from the mountain after receiving the law of God, which would be um, the gospel for them in the Old Testament, 
It is our gospel is the law from Jesus of what it means to follow him and surrender him. Moses comes down the mountain with the law written on the tablets, and what does it say of him? He is shining. He has a glow about him. Why? Because he has been in the presence of God. Like he has been meeting with God and the, the glory of God has fallen on his life so much that the Israelites, when he came down from the mountain, said, please cover your face with a veil because when we look at you, there's so much glory coming out of you, we feel convicted about our own lives. The Christian ought to be living in such fellowship and community and and sweet, intimate fellowship with, with the Lord that the glory of God is falling on his life at such an extent that a person who has not surrendered to Jesus should say, man, I don't know. I either have got to have some of what you've got or I don't want to hang out with you anymore. If you've got friends that aren't following Jesus and they don't start getting convicted over the way that you're living, you probably don't have enough glory of God falling in your life. And the greater the glory of God falls in your life, what will happen is your friends will either come in for some of that glory and want to know how to have that, or they will not want to spend any time with you anymore because you will be a constant reminder of how far away from God they are, Okay? So that's just the deal. That's the way it works. And so the glory of God is within us as we surrender to them. And so this is why he says this. He goes on. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion. So we see come repeated three times. He says, escape you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says, after the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Here's the, here's the third takeaway. We are the apple of his eye. Okay, so when we surrender to the Lord, we become the apple of the Lord's eye. And so that sounds kind of cool. It sounds like, oh, we're precious to the Lord like an apple is precious to our eye. Um, that's not what this means. What this means as the, the, those who surrender to the Lord as the apple of his eye, the apple is the most sensitive part of the eye. It is the pupil. That is what is being referred to here, to here right now. And so the land to the north is Babylon. Now, Babylon is not north of Jerusalem. However, when Babylon entered Jerusalem, it came through the northern side of, 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 the, of the nation, of Israel. And so it is referred to as the, uh, in, in the north. And, and Babylon is always the seat of wickedness. This goes back, we go back to the creation story. And if you remember, as you're reading through some of those really cool stories in the first few chapters of Genesis, you come across Nimrod. And what is Nimrod? Who said that? Come on, Peter. A mighty hunter before the Lord, right? Or he is Elmer Fudd, according to Bugs Bunny, right? You Nimrod. Now, what is a Nimrod? Well, Nimrod was this guy who was a mighty hunter before the Lord, but he is also the founder of Babylon. And we have the story of the Tower of Babel. What was the story of the Tower of Babel? Come, let us build us a tower to the heavens, which was a complete humanistic religious experience 
apart from God. Come let us get together and build something that we will not ever be separated and will keep us bound together. It was a religious experience. And that's when God comes down and he confounds their language, freaks them out, and they are scattered over the face of the earth. And so there is the beginning of uh, Babylon in that particular place because they're moving away from God. When we get to the book of Revelation, you'll hear Babylon talked a lot. Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. It is the seat of wickedness. It always indi- indicates um, uh, the uh, sin and wickedness. And so he says to us, and he says to them, now literally there were people in Babylon. And judgment was going to come against Babylon. And so he's send, saying to his people, he's got a remnant that's now come home. He's saying to the people that are in Babylon, but not only that, to everywhere else around the world, he's saying, come back home for a judgment is about to come. And so he's saying, leave these wicked places that have moved away from me because judgment is about to fall on them. And it, it and in fact, did uh, fall on them. He says to us, Leave a life of sin and wickedness, for judgment always follows, falls on a sin of life or, or, or a sin, a life of sin and wickedness. Okay, so he's calling on us to come out of that and surrender to him. And as he says this, the pupil of his eye is, is what he identifies those who have come and surrendered as he's called them out of this life of wickedness. And the pupil lets light in. This is really cool, I think. Okay, so like animals can see at night because they have really large pupils. And they're able to open up really wide and let more light in than our eyes can let in. So we call them nocturnal animals. They're made for that. Well, so we know that our eye, you shine light in it and it restricts. That's why when you walk uh, into a building from being out in the sun, your eyes kind of like, they're kind of messed up. It takes a minute. So that's what's going on. You understand the anatomy of the eye. Uh, And so like what, what he's saying is, as people surrender to him, the greater level of surrender from an individual, the greater exposure of light can be let into the glory of God. Not in your life. In him. You're the apple of his eye. This is what God is saying to you. You are the pupil that lets the light of the glory of God back into heaven. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Whatever your will is in heaven, let it be done on earth. Let the glory of God fall and uh, come and uh, go back and forth from heaven to earth so that his glory can fall on your life. The pupil of his eye is open brighter and more glory can fall on your life. And then it goes back to heaven. Then it comes back to the earth and it goes back to heaven. And your life becomes brighter and brighter for the kingdom of God until ultimately you are doing what Jesus has asked you to do, to go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the glory of God falls on our lives, and we are the apple of his eye. We are the pupil, and the greater we surrender, the greater his glory. And that's why he builds a wall of fire around us to protect us. And he says that if somebody comes against you, he will do what? Now, what happens if you're walking like, and all of a sudden you, you see something about coming towards your eye? You know it's the most sensitive part of your eye. You do this, Right? You're walking through the woods at night, those of you who hunt, which is probably not most of you, but it's me, so that's what you got to deal with. (laughs) You're walking through at night, and all of a sudden, as you're walking through, man, I can't tell you how many times I've come right up on a branch, and and you don't know, and then you, boom, you put your hand up real quick, right? 
Or if you're walking behind Shay, he has no courtesy. He just lets the branches flap in your face. You constantly raise your hand, all right? And so this is what God says he will do. You're the apple of his eye. He will build a wall of fire around you. And when anybody tries to come against you, he will raise his right hand because you are the pupil of his eye. That is good preaching, man. That is like, that ought to make you feel good and, and realize, man, God loves me that much. He cares about me that way. I'm that sensitive to him. He wants to protect me wherever I go and whatever I do. And whoever touches me touches the apple of his eye, and he will raise his hand against them. And so what he's saying to us If God is there, if Jesus is in us, if he is present, there is no need to build walls. And if he is not present, no wall can be built to protect you. That's what God is saying. It's like, so we don't have to live in fear. That's why the scripture says he has not given us what? He has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He's given us a spirit of power And that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish the works of the kingdom. And the greater our surrender, the greater the glory, the greater the protection because the greater we're accomplishing on earth and there is a need to keep us there And until it is time for God to be so pleased with us that he says, I can't take it anymore. I'm bringing this bro home. Now, how many people do you know that are living like that? And the question is, if you're not living like that, why not? If we really believe that, then why would we not fully surrender everything that we have and start quit looking at all of the things physically around us that we think, this is going to impact my life in A, B, C, or D. If I surrender this, no, you are throwing your life away. You have no idea of what, what, what is really happening and what your existence is really about for all eternity, not for the few short years that we have to occupy this planet in these flesh and bones that are made to pass away and are not robing us for immortality. And so when we come to that place, when we realize what God is saying to us, the vision goes on and it says, shout and be glad, daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people and I will live among you and and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Now, when he wakes up from that, that, that description there, that is again a reference to the day of the Lord that is coming in the future. And the next takeaway for us is to rejoice and be glad for he will live among us all. Now, This was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. And so in one sense, there is a prophetical fulfillment that Jesus came and he lived among them. Just like he says, the the glory of this temple will be greater than Zerubbabel's temple. The glory that enters it will be greater than Solomon's temple. And physically it wasn't greater, but the glory was greater because what happened is the fire of God fell on Solomon's temple, but Jesus, God himself, walked into Zerubbabel's temple. And so there was a fulfillment of that. Well, in this way, as he's saying um, that he will live among us, there is, there's, there's multiple uh, uh, fulfillments of this prophecy. First, that Jesus, it says, well, why do we call him Emmanuel? Emmanuel means God is with us. And so at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Emmanuel, God is with us. He will come to live among us, and he did. But what everybody didn't realize at the time of his arrival is that he would die among us as well. 
And so when he dies among us, it makes us sad. And he says, oh, man, bros, don't grieve, for you will only grieve for a little while. They will lay me in the heart of the earth for three days, and I will rise again, and then I will send for you the Comforter, and he will live in you. And that is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live in us. And so now he lives among us spiritually. But then we look off into the future, and he has promised that he will return again. And the last thing on his ascension, after he interacted with the disciples and gave them the great commission, the angelic host said to them, men, why do you stand here gazing, looking into heaven? This same Jesus, which you've seen depart this way, will be returning this way. And it is a coming of Christ that he will return to the earth again, and he will live among us. And so right now, for those who have surrendered to Christ and have been born again in the power of the Spirit and have experienced transformation, the Spirit of God lives in us and He lives among us spiritually. But we look forward to the time that He will live among us physically because we too will receive a resurrected body as He has received because He is the first fruits of the resurrection. No human being has been resurrected but Jesus Christ. That's it. But there is a promise that in the future, all human beings will be resurrected. And it is the miraculous uh, uh, promise uh, or fulfillment of the promise of God that he will make all things new. And so spiritually, we already are resurrected when we're born again. But we're promised that we will receive a resurrected body in the form of Christ. And it will be reunited with our spirit. And we will receive an imperishable body that is made to live forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And so he's, he, he says, rejoice and shout, for I'm going to come and live among you. But then he talks about many nations will be joined. Okay, so they rebuilt the nation of, of Jerusalem. But never has many nations been joined to Jerusalem. However, when we get to the book of Acts, and the early Christians were all Jewish. Okay, and the Spirit of God was falling on Jewish people. And then all of a sudden... It falls on a guy by the name of Cornelius, and he's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. And the church is like, what do we do with this? And he said, well, the only thing we can do with it is to recognize the same thing that has happened to us has happened to him, and it is of God because what has happened to us is not of man, and we can clearly recognize the Spirit of God living in this man too. And what what is happening is the fulfillment of this prophecy that the the, the, all nations are coming in to the city that has no limits, whose architect is God, and nations are coming in, okay? And that's why Jesus says in the Great Commissions, go do what? Make disciples of what? All nations. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the measuring line has gone forth, and the limits are um, the habitable earth. We build on the foundation of Christ as the rock, And he gives us the great commission to go forth and continue to build on him as the rock. And I'm reminded as we look at and we come to this this awesome truth that the church will cover the earth. Like the church will cover the earth. Why does the church cover? Does that mean that the church takes the earth over? No. It means the church is all over the globe. That everywhere you go, there's a church that belongs to the Lord. And why is that important? Because the church is the bride of Christ. And why is Christ coming back? Because he is the bridegroom and he will come back for the bride. And that's what this thing is all about. And so we look and we go, man, we can get so caught up in the material things of this world and walking by sight instead of walking by faith and recognizing, man, this thing is so much bigger than me and it's been going on 
Ever since the beginning of time, God has been telling this incredible story about who he is to mankind. And the job of the church, the bride of Christ, is to go ye thereforth and make disciples by allowing the glory of God to emanate out of your life and surrendering in greater and greater detail so that he provides a wall of fire to protect you and his glory comes down in you and the nations are reached through you. And churches become powerful places that are bringing transformation to the souls, not places for sociological change. That's not what the church is about. The church is the body of Christ, and certainly social change will happen, but it doesn't happen because the church is trying to make it happen. It happens because the church is the bride of Christ, and they're yielding and walking in obedience to the bridegroom, and they just improve culture because of their obedience to Christ in the first place. And so we look and we go, man, I'm reminded of what Jesus said when Peter said, who do people say that I am? And he said, well, some say you're... Um, Elijah or one of the prophets or John the Baptist. And he said, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, you are right and flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven revealed it to you. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what we build on. And so what is the big idea of today's talk? Come, 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 because he is coming. That's why he says, come, 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 because I am coming. And this is what we're building. This is, this is what we're doing. This is what we're giving our lives and our resources to is so that people can come and see. Even as we think in terms of why is it important for us to try to do something and erect um, something out here that changes the, the, the facade of the building because it is, a, it, is, it is a testament of the glory of God and sometimes it's good to do physical things to represent what God is doing on the inside of us and to continue to tell the story. And so as we do that, man, we're inviting people to come and see. You should be inviting friends to come and see what God is doing. But it's hard to get them to come and see what God is doing if they don't look at your life and see that God is doing something in you. Why should they want to come to a church where you go to if they can't look at your life and see that God is already doing something in you? And then you can say, come and see and be a part of this community of believers. We're a family, man, and God is just pouring his glory out in us. And I can't even hardly explain to you how special it is other than just to tell you that I'm walking in surrender to what I know to be the truth of his word. And he's getting glory in my life. Come, 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 because he is coming. I wasn't sure that I would do this, but I think I will because I think you'll enjoy it. A little bit of revelation, amen? Amen. Revelation 22, Jesus says to John the Revelator in verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and, uh, and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you. And with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of the book, worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic, arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes to let him take the free gift of the water of life. And so what does Jesus say? Come, 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 because I am coming. Now, when it talks about all of these people, the, the sexual idolaters, the people who practice magic, the liars, those who, uh, you know, just the dogs on the outside, he says. Who are they? Like, what is that about? That is all of the people who would not surrender and come. Everybody on the inside who's described as holy are all of the people who surrendered and came. That's only two alternatives. Come, come, come. Jesus says, for I am coming. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a time to be in your word, to have it encourage us, that you are a wall of fire around us to protect us, that you are the glory within us, that, Lord, you raise your hand against things that come against us as we surrender to you, Lord, that you've called us to go forth and reach the nations for you teaching them how to surrender to the truths of your word. And so we pray as a body of believers, Lord, that you would help us to learn how to surrender in greater and greater ways. That you would help us not only to be able to surrender in our own lives, but to be equipped with the skills, Lord, to teach somebody else how to surrender so that your glory may fall in greater ways on the planet and the church, the bride of Christ, continues to expand as a city without walls to be ready for your return. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in the powerful, precious, holy name of Christ, and amen. Now, before I turn the service over to, to Kevin and let him play us out, like it's important that like you may, you, like the gospel cannot be more clearly laid out to you than what it was today, whether you're watching online or, or you're here today. And so the bottom line is, have you surrendered to Jesus? And surrendering to Jesus doesn't mean I pray a prayer over you. Surrendering to Jesus means that you take your life and you say, I believe this. I believe everything that I was just taught about the identity of Christ. And I'm laying my life down and I'm surrendering it. And I'm ready to be the apple of his eye so that the glory of God may fall on my life. Now, you, you, like maybe you need a little help. That's why we have a pastoral staff. That's why I'm here so you can talk to me on the way out. You can ask me to have lunch. You can have lunch with Shay. You can, like whatever, but don't be silent. If you need to surrender your life, then you ought to be among those who would shout and rejoice for you have realized that the Lord is coming to you because you have come to him. He has invited you and you've said yes to all that is true. If you don't surrender when he returns, you will be among the dogs on the outside. Only those who get to come in are those who surrender to Jesus. And so don't let that truth, don't let your physical eyes talk you out of doing what you know the Lord is calling you to do in this moment. 
And so that's a big, like the biggest decision you will make in your life. And, and don't be afraid to ask somebody for more information. As a matter of fact, I'll sit here on the front row and maybe you just are like, I got to have this right now. And that's what happened for me. And maybe you'll come and surrender to the Lord and I'll pray with you even before we leave today. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.